Pufferfish challenge. challenge. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't even get that. Hi, welcome back to Shrinkwrapped. I'm Allison Colarossi here with my husband, David Colarossi, the psychologist, and the format we've been doing is we ask questions of a psychologist and he answers off the cuff. So you get the real David. So, so we, the, the last time we did this, uh, we tried to conf confine it to two minutes, I think, two minutes of questions. It ended up being 15 minutes, so uh, we're gonna take off the two minute time constraint, not that we were paying attention to it before, and we're gonna try and move to four questions uh, as opposed to just sticking to two. Anything else that we, that we missed? Oh, make sure that for him to answer questions in future episodes, just put them in my comments and uh, we'll hopefully get to those questions. Yeah, put comments in the video, or put uh, questions in the comments, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. Now that we're new to we're new to YouTube, and apparently you have to say it in every single video to make sure that people are doing that for the YouTube algorithm. So like, subscribe, and everybody says, smash the bell. It's YouTube lingo. Okay, so the first question comes from me because this is my biggest fear in a relationship, and I hear it from lots of my friends and other people, customers, and my question is. How do you keep a relationship when you have kids from becoming transactional? I guess a marriage, I should say. How do you stop it from becoming transactional? Yeah, that's the term they use. It it's a a big fear. I um I think the answer is to be to make sure that your to make sure that your relationship is not just transactional. So as you in a you know as your relationship evolves, there are more and more things that require both people to have those things accomplished. You're you're engaging in multiple activities together, and I think it's really easy to slide into a path where, you know, you wake up in the morning and you just help each other get the kids ready for school. Then you both take the kids to school, or someone gets the, the kid, to, you know, one kid to school, and the other person takes the other kid to school, and you sort of get in this process where you're trying to get things done together, but you're not paying attention to the relationship. And so my thought is to prevent the relationship to become one big transaction, you have to be intentional about creating other. Uh, interactions that are not transactional. So that's things like that week, once a week date night that we really believe in, who uh, we got the idea from Rachel Hollis. I don't know if it was really her brainchild, but the idea of doing, you know, that kind of interaction, I think having dinner together every night, spending time together after the kids go to bed, I think you have to make sure that your relationship doesn't become one gigantic transaction. So, you know, uh, move away from the super linear activity completion and move into relationship development. Focus on the relationship more than just, you know, completing your day-to-day -day activities. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think that's good. Do you know that if you look at, there's a lot of, you, could, you can Google it, if you look at the arc of satisfaction in a relationship, uh, when you before when you when you first get married or you first start the relationship you're at an all-time kind of high as far as satisf satisfaction and then you have kids and what generally happens is you get so consumed with taking care of the kids that your your satisfaction in your relationship in your marriage your global happiness even goes downhill until 18 years later when the kids leave the house and then that satisfaction loops back up 
but that period of having a kid having kids in your house is very difficult because people become hyper focused on just getting this job done this job of raising kids becomes a one gigantic task and so i think you have to be really intentional to prevent that sort of u-shaped curve if curve i think you have to be really intentional about having fun things planned for you and your partner so that it doesn't become one gigantic transaction. I like it. Should it be um, both, like, each part of the couple plans the fun things? <laughs> yeah. All right, so last, if you've, if you've watched more than one of these, the last time Allison asked a question about emotional burden, um, and I didn't answer it well. I got some, I got some negative feedback. I am right now preparing to do another video about specifically emotional burden and emotional labor, and you'll be happier with my uh, response. Uh, I think one of the things I am learning, just as sort of a side note about YouTube, is I have a tendency to like to be cavalier or a tendency to, to like to be uh, adversarial, and I realize that this is not the platform for that because people don't know who I am, um, and so they sort of hear what I have to say, and when it comes across as blunt or adversarial, they don't know uh, kind of who's behind that. And so I have to be more intentional about how I talk about it. So, so to answer your question, yes, it should be a 50-50 split as far as who plans those kinds of non-transactional activities. And definitely should be 50-50. Maybe even the, the, the guy in our relationship could do a better job stepping up as far as that emotional burden of getting those things, those non-transactional events set up, like date night or you know, going away for the weekend, that kind of stuff. I like it. I'm ready for it. Yeah, let's hear about that in the comments. <laughs> the, com the comments better be better this time. I got yelled at. Okay, so this actually came from a comment in, in, uh, from your last one. And um, I can't remember who asked it, but she wants to know if it's healthy to ha um, have like an idolization of people like Rachel Hollis or other motivational speakers or books in your life. Yeah, I, I well, I saw the comment and it, and I and I don't have a like, I don't have a a clear answer for that for everybody. My first re my first reaction is to say that I do think it's healthy. I know that for me, it was very healthy for me when I um, started off my career. I was really into Tim Ferriss. Uh, when I read Tim Ferriss's stuff now. Uh, I'm less inspired by it, but at the time at that period of my life It really changed the way I thought about work about my relationships about myself You know the extent to which I could push myself to learn and to grow and so I think it's for me It was really valuable to sort of look out into the you know You're sort of you've probably heard that before that you're sort of you're the aggregate of the top five people that you hang out with most in your life and it's it's it can be difficult uh, especially, you know, depending on where you grew up or what kind of family you grew up in, it can be difficult to have five really strong people in your life. And so I think when that's the case, it's your job to figure out who those people can be via books or podcasts or TV shows or whatever, YouTube channels, figure out who those people are and listen to them because it helps you, you sort of craft, uh, um, craft the life that you want. And so in that way, I think it's really positive. I think it can be negative if you are idolizing someone to the point that you're not being realistic about who you are and about who they are. So I think there is a line where it can be sort of over the top and now it's no longer beneficial and it becomes a sort of a meshed relationship. 
you know, and we would think about that from a psychological term of you're no longer able to differentiate yourself and separate yourself from them. You really put them on a pedestal and they can do no wrong. And if things don't go well from that, for them, it really hurts you. And I think at that point, uh, it becomes less healthy. Nice. Well, what do you think? Because I, I think that that question came in reference to people reeling at Rachel Hollis's relationship falling apart and how that felt, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was emotionally, uh, I mean, it was distressful or I think it's continued to be distressful for people that followed her so closely. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely distressful for me as you guys all know, but I, I think it's, I, I think it's because of the things that you addressed in other podcasts, like, like, the idea that her relationship when it looks so great and like we're following these things and setting our intentions to be an exceptional wife and exceptional and then hers just like all of a sudden fell apart but you addressed that so yeah um so yeah yeah it felt like she felt like she had lied it was less about her if i if I, th I think it was less about her relationship falling apart and more about her saying look at this perfect relationship and follow me and I'll model it for you. And then you find out that it wasn't perfect. And so you're like, well, what was I modeling? Well, yeah. Well, and she was like, we're falling in love with each other more and more during this quarantine. And I was like, really? Cause I'm sick of David. <laughs> what was the last, what was the last, uh, we, 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 we make it on the regs. I love or whatever. There's like, it's like, you do, you see him yeah. like every single minute. Of every... <laughs> um, yeah. But I do like the point that you make about, um, and, and I don't think you, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I don't think you addressed it, but the point where if you don't feel like you have the, you know, five strong people in your life, it's more about upping your game because if you have people that are not as, if you want to be like, say better athletically or fit, you want to be fitter, then you should always hang out with people that are fitter than you mm -hmm. because they will up your game or people that, um, are you know higher in their careers or more creative because it will just up your game and so i love that point yeah i well I just, now i'm just thinking about what i had said before i had talked about how i initially uh found tim i mean tim ferris was so impactful for me and now i don't follow him as closely and it's it's less impactful uh, that's not because he's done anything wrong but i think it's because my life has evolved to a place where the his teachings about being entrepreneurial and pushing yourself i feel like i have that uh, you know, I'm more intentional about that than I was. So what he was offering me, uh, I, I don't need as much anymore. And so now the responsibility is on me to sort of figure out, well, who are those people now that I can follow? So for example, Jordan Peterson is someone who I really admire and want to follow and pay more attention to now, you know, as my life evolves. I think, I think that's your responsibility is to be constantly paying attention to who's going to guide you and who can you look to and learn from moving forward. Yeah. Okay, this was another question from the comments, and um, it's about gossip in gossip in general, and I thought we would we could pair it off to how it can negatively impact gossip in the workplace and gossip in your life, and how it uh, can negatively impact, or how it impacts. Uh, I don't understand. I just don't understand the question. How does gossip impact people? Like, it's not about good. <laughs> What do you, what do you mean? But like, can you talk about gossip? I mean, I, I yeah, I think so. I I'll, I like to gossip. I mean, I think first of all, first of all, I, I like to gossip. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Okay, so the, I, the gossip is not good. The reason why it's not it's not good for a lot of reasons. So as a so I work as an executive coach, business consultant, um, and a big part of what we do or that what I do is conflict resolutions uh, in a business environment. And one of the most caustic things in a work environment is gossip. The reason why it's so damaging is because the person who is gossiping, in that moment, it feels really good to be the gossip, feels really good to share that information, people are listening to you, you feel very aligned, you're sharing this intimate thing, so you feel there's like a more of a connection there, there's some vulnerability. But the reality is that the second you stop gossiping, the people you just gossiped to now know that you're willing to gossip. And so you undermine your whole brand within that organization, within that sphere. And so what, what I think what happens is you end up damaging not only the relationship with the person you're gossiping about, but you're damaging the relationship with the person you just gossiped to. So I think it really destroys relationships. And so when I'll go in from a consulting standpoint and interact with people, you can quickly see how all of these relationships have been severed. There's these clicks that, that are created instantly, uh, and it's very, very damaging to a work environment, to a friend group. Um, so I think, is that what you mean? Yeah. I, I, I'm like, is that what you mean? Moving on, then I have, I have one more thought, though. Uh, which is, it is adaptive. There is a reason why you gossip. Um, there's a book, Sapiens, and I'm going to butcher the... Uh, we will put the uh, author's name uh, in the description below. But the book, Sapiens, talks a lot about how gossiping evolved, and it was very adaptive originally. The reason why you gossip is to figure out what's happening with the people around you. And the better you can gossip, the more you can learn. It's a way of a, creating this kind of a social and emotional intelligence. You know what's happening around you if you have a group of people that are really gossiping. If the goal is to create a very small, close-knit group. But if you go into a work environment or a friend group in modern society, you don't have that close-knit group that you can gossip within and keep it safe, right? You're interacting with new people. You have you know, uh, different relationships. So it doesn't serve the same purpose. And now it's very maladaptive. That's a good answer. Okay. The last question comes again from me because I've been struggling with it today. Um, I f hypocrisy. So right now we're in like the scary time of COVID and everyone's judging everybody like wear a mask, not wear a mask what's going on on the news and I just um I'm curious why and I think this would go back to some of your assessments that you do but why are people so hypocritical Sorry, this phone's why are people so hypocritical right now <laughs> is this a hard question that is a hard question why are people so hypocritical do you right now? and is it just me that feels like it I feel like you recognize more hip. <laughs> uh, you are more attuned to the hypocrisy. I think you're more uh, socially aware than I am. Like I think I can go. I sort of move through the world and don't notice when people are uh, acting in a way that's incongruent. Um, so it probably bothers me less. Um, I think that people are hypocrites. I feel like I'm make, trying to make up an answer on this because I don't have a good answer for why people are uh, hypocrites. Uh, what I would say is I think people don't like to change. I think it feels good to be right about things. And so especially in, you know, right now when you're going through this sort of the racial tension, the social justice issues, you're dealing with coronavirus. Now there's another 
an, an additional wave of it. There, people have a lot of instability at work. There's everything is chaotic, and people just want stability. And when you're faced with, with that kind of chaotic environment, there is a drive to create, uh, to be, to there's a drive to uh, make things clear. And there's a drive to understand things. And so what happens is people will sort of revert back to black and white thinking. It's much harder to be nuanced in your thinking when things are chaotic. And so people revert back to that sign that kind of, you know, yes or no, black and white thinking. And when you do that, you sort of can set, you can say things that are, um, you know, that lack nuance. They're just sort of very pragmatic. And then it becomes very difficult to live in alignment with those things. That'd be my guess is when, yeah, so here's my, here's an answer that makes sense. With all the chaos, it's really easy. There's a drive to make things crystal clear, black and white, but it's very hard to behave crystal clear, back in, black and white, when there's so much chaos and unpredictability. And so you have people saying one thing, which is straight and narrow, and then acting in a way that is chaotic and inconsistent. I don't like it. My answer or the... No, I liked your... I thought your answer was great. It was actually one of your better answers. (laughs) (laughs) You're less impressed with the other three? No. I I was talking about last week. (laughs) I didn't do well. Last week, I want to mulligan on last week. I'm going to do... I've I've done better. On By Monday, I will have a new video posted. uh, And I I think I'm going to... I will... I'm going to make an effort to explain... um, what I understand about emotional labor and how kind of what my path has been with that, which I think will be helpful because I feel like I stepped in it last week. Well, thank you so much for joining. Um, that was great. Thank you. And please uh, put your comments and questions uh, in the comment section. Also, uh, like and subscribe and do the bell for notifications. And we will see you next week. Thank you so much thank for you joining so much. us.